This is the City Sides Podcast with Larry Kutzler. As we look at the Divine Comedy, just one of Dante's works, as Dante himself appears as a protagonist in his own story. Dante also believed in making literature approachable, writing the Divine Comedy in a language understandable to the masses, as opposed to most literature of the time being written in Latin. As Dante was interested in religion and the consequences of our actions here on Earth, the Divine Comedy tells the tale of Dante trying to aspire to heaven, but he must travel through hell and purgatory to get there. Most of what he writes is based on imagery found in popular religious texts, including the Bible, though some of it was embellished for the sake of storytelling. The seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride, fall foul to any of these vices, then your soul may be destined for hell. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. A few months ago, I had the opportunity of talking with a young man about his faith, and all of a sudden I got this idea that I'd like to talk to the younger generation about where their minds are at, where their hearts are at, and that young man uh, had a lot to say about faith, the direction of his life. Well, today I want to talk to another young man who's in seminary and learning about how to become a minister. We even call him a minister in training. I love that. Minister in training. I guess we are all ministers in training to some degree. But Riley Carpenter is my guest today, and we're going to talk about a theme that he has chosen. He's choosing a theme that often is not heard about much today, and it's called slothfulness. What a word, Riley. Now, why in the world would a young 20-something talk about slothfulness? On one level, it just comes from my studies in school. On another level, it's just deeply personal. I know I can be lazy. My mom knows I can be lazy. It's one of the battles that I personally have fought in my life. But the idea to talk about it, to think about it, theologically and practically, came from school. I... You know, I was taking a class on Renaissance literature. It meant that I read Dante, the Divine Comedy. And the second volume in the comedy is Purgatory, Purgatorio. In Dante's Purgatory, essentially there's a big mountain with seven terraces, and they represent the seven deadly sins. And, you know, I'm an evangelical. I don't believe in purgatory, but I thought it was a helpful way to think about our fight against sin or our sanctification. So I did a lot of thinking on the seven deadlies. Ultimately, any one of those would have been interesting to unpack. I think it's something we just neglect to talk about in the evangelical church, that Catholics, you know, they maintain that tradition. Well, I want to find out, and I'm sure you're going to reveal those seven deadly sins in a second. But just the fact that you're reading Dante is just completely opposite of slothfulness. I mean, my goodness. I mean, that is some pretty heavy classic literature, is it not? It is. In my edition, you know, it's a 900-page poem. Wow. The whole thing rhymes. But yeah, I think it's fun. I, I, I heard one theologian talking about the classics. They're quite daunting to people. But if you give them a read, they just feel more sincere than like a modern academic work or something like that. So that's something I like about it. And there's a reason why that book in particular has lasted, you know, 800 years. Uh, It's amazing. So let's get into slothfulness and the seven deadly sins. I interrupted you because I thought to myself, here's this guy. Talk 
talking about slothfulness, but yet reading the classics. But anyway, let's talk about the seven deadly sins. So the seven deadly sins, most people are familiar with that term. I doubt most people could list all seven off unless they were catechized in a Catholic church or something like that. But it has a history, which is mostly Catholic. But so it's not exactly clear when there was, you know, a canonized seven deadly sins. There was something like there was one theologian in the fifth century that had eight sins and slothfulness wasn't a part of that. That kind of fell under the umbrella of sadness. Another theologian, he actually was a pope, Pope Gregory the Great. He kind of first like canonized the seven deadlies and that was in the sixth century in the 500s yeah it just kind of developed theologians and philosophers just thought about those things but the person who gives kind of the most just the best teaching on it was thomas aquinas in the 13th century aquinas probably better than any theologian before him systemized christian religion and, and christian theology and philosophy he was just very clear about what it is what it isn't what each topic is or isn't what it means for God to exist, what are arguments against his existence, all of those things. So he, in his systematic mind, he applied it to the seven deadlies, and he unpacked all of them, and he specifically defined one of them as slothfulness. The Latin word he used was Acadia. There's no English equivalent. But what I find more interesting was a student of his, not physical student, but a man who read all of Aquinas's work and turned it into a poem. And it's Dante, so it brings us back to Dante. In one sense, I could maybe be wrong, but Dante's Divine Comedy is like the creative project of St. Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae. And in it, Dante is wrestling with what the nature of sin is and the nature of reality. There's all kinds of things. But he starts off with the first book, The Inferno, which is what, you know, lots of people read in high school and things like that. Dante's Inferno. Dante, he goes down into hell with Virgil, the poet. Then he comes out and he makes it through hell. He sees Satan and he walks out on the next side, which brings us to the play Purgatory or Purgatorio. In Purgatorio, Dante, he has to essentially fight each of these sins as he climbs up this mountain. So the bottom is pride, and then the level up from that is envy, and then up from that is wrath. And then right wedged in the middle, the fourth deadly sin for Dante is slothfulness. And then third one would be greed and then gluttony. And then the least kind of like bad one be lust. And he did think of it in that kind of order, lust, gluttony, greed slothfulness, wrath, envy, pride. It's very interesting how these men thought. Dante, he wrote in Purgatory, specifically when he's in the Terrace of Slothfulness, he talks about how Virgil, his guide, is explaining to him the anatomy of Purgatory. And he explains why the bottom three sins, wrath, envy, and pride, are on the bottom and why lust, gluttony, and greed are on the top. Lust, gluttony, and greed, you're loving something, and you're loving something that's good. You're just loving it too much. So sex, money, and food, those are good things that God has made, and your your love has just gone haywire, mm-hmm. essentially. The bottom three, you're loving yourself too much in light of other people. So pride, envy, and wrath are sins against people. The top three are sins against yourself. What is slothfulness? You're just not loving hard enough in either direction. And that's a good way to think about it because slothfulness essentially is failing to 
live out uh, your God-giving, your spiritual duty. It's not merely laziness because some people, especially in America, they work as hard as they can to have a leisure life. They're still being slothful in doing the things of God, in pursuing God, in prayer, um, in loving one's neighbor and those things. Well, that's what I think is fascinating because when we think of slothfulness, we just think of it as a lazy person who doesn't work or sleeps all day or plays video games you yeah. know, into the wee hours of the morning. But it really has to do a little bit more as you're unpacking some of this with just the pursuit of the Lord or the pursuit of good things. If you don't pray or you don't read your Bible, you don't even go to church, but you call yourself a Christian, that is another way of defining slothfulness, right? It is, yeah. C.S. Lewis and his book, The Screwtape Letters, he unpacks slothfulness in one of the letters. I mean, the book is a demon elder writing to his demon nephew about how to get this one particular Christian to walk away from the Lord. What the demon uncle, the elder, is trying to communicate to his nephew is he's trying to tempt him to towards slothfulness. He said to make the things of God in particular just boring. At one point, you should tempt your person or this, this individual that the demon is trying to cause to stumble. Tempt them not to pray by giving them a really good book. But eventually, it's a slippery slope where you no longer even need the good book. The morning paper will do to take away the person from prayer. And that's how it is in our Christian life. When I preached at City View a couple months ago, I read this quote from a Puritan. It said, uh, when we go to God by prayer, Satan knows we go to fetch strength against him. Therefore, he resists us all that he can. And that's a powerful quote. What is Satan tempting us to do? He doesn't want us just to veg out on chips, but he wants us not to pray, not to read scripture. You could neglect those things and still be a very productive person, but ultimately your your love is just going the wrong way in a sense. You are being slothful. But it is also just vegging out on the couch. That's still another issue, especially in our digital age. I know like I can, you know, this is a little bit of confession time, but I am able to just watch YouTube for three hours straight one night going from video to video about, you know, all kinds of nonsense like cops getting into arguments with people they pull over down to women getting attacked by bobcats and things like that. (laughs) I I watch all that nonsense, not to say that it's bad in and of itself, but... It's pulling me away from Christ. It's it's trying to shape my affections towards something that's not him or shape my affections towards something that's just not what God wills for my life. Okay, so the relevance of what you've just said, which is very interesting, actually, and maybe we've inspired some people to go back to the classics, but how would you relate this then to being slothful to your generation? How does that work? I want to be as practical as I can, especially for like millennials and Gen Z. Like I'm Gen Z. I'm one of the oldest Gen Zers for using those terms. I've had to be perceptive about what is shaping our affections, what's moving us away towards just doing good things and holy things on top of that. Not even what's keeping us from prayer, but what's keeping us from loving our families and things like that. And the biggest culprit that comes to my mind is just simply social media and what it just done for people. I don't know how familiar you are with kind of the new trend of social media, but a new app came out a couple years ago called TikTok. Yeah, isn't that an app that came out of China? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. But their algorithm is so compelling. I mean, I've felt it. I've talked about it with my wife. Essentially, it plays a video. So essentially what TikTok does is it plays a video 
when that video ends, you can keep your finger on it and watch it again, or it'll just play another video to infinity. It is a never ending stream of video, but it causes people to spend insane amounts of time, like four, five, six hours on an app over just watching video after video. And the sad thing is that all social media platforms have realized that's a very compelling way to get people to stay on their app. So Facebook, if you watch a video, it'll just play videos yes, it to will. infinity. Mm-hmm. It's doing it on YouTube. It's doing it on Instagram. Again, to quote C.S. Lewis, he said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. And I think that's it. It's It comes from just wanting to relax. And I, I'm, again, I'm just thinking about my generation coming, wanting to relax or like, you know, you're going to school or you're working all day and then you come home. And you just start scrolling Mm. for hours. And I've been a culprit of that. It's taken me away from my homework. It's taken me away from like intentionally like connecting with my wife. But ultimately, the easiest thing to give up is prayer because it's on me. It's not on anyone else's time. So, yeah, social media, it's making us slothful. It's not even a debate. That's just what is going on. That's what's happening in our culture. So... It just seems very different to listen to a young man talk about slothfulness in this way, especially as you're relating it to the social media platforms. How did you ever come to this realization? I mean, you know, the social media platforms, as you're saying, are addicting. It's no different than a drug, right? Yeah. In many ways. And so how did you break loose or how did you come to this revelation that not only is it slothfulness, but it, it's really being used by the enemy to turn you away from the Lord. How did it come to your attention? So I've just heard little nuggets of knowledge from people about the addictive nature of social media and stuff like that. You said it's like a drug. That's absolutely true. It uses the same chemicals in your brain. It releases dopamine. So does getting a like on social media. It's, it's actually a great question. In one sense, I've never been just completely into social media because it's going to sound bad. I don't really like talking to people over the phone, especially. It doesn't interest me. I'd rather just have a face-to-face conversation, just my personality personally. But, you know, I would have conversations with people and you ask them how many hours they spend online. And I, I mean, I kid you not, like friends of mine, they would spend eight hours on social media. That's a work day, you know? <laughs> I know. I, and I know. you're not doing yeah. anything. So just like conversations with people like that. And then the little moments I would get on social media, I would immediately realize the hours that would just go by. So it, it was just kind of just intuitive just to see just the harmfulness of it. I also there's all kinds of harm on social media that I've been aware of. I've never had TikTok on my phone or had a had an account And part of my objection to it was from very early on when it became popular in the United States, it was essentially, I know this word means a lot more now in our culture, but essentially it's pornographic. And that being said, it's mostly high school girls. I I think the culture of TikTok has changed a little bit, but for a year it was dominant that it was essentially a lot of high school girls just dressed scantily. They're in their bras, they're in their underwear, and they're doing dances. My now wife, we would be out and we would see girls that look young 
that are in extremely revealing clothes. And we the like inside joke is that oh they're TikTok girls they're they're just making TikTok oh, videos yeah interesting um, mm. so I've I've been just like that stuff has just really it's underage girls and mm-hmm. the creators are just exploiting them essentially so yeah I've just been wary of social media and just thinking about how it affects us and then yeah just being in class and just thinking about the seven deadlies actually using my brain I've just made connections and. Um, those connections, you know, they're relevant to me. They're, they impassion me. You have something that you call your antidote to slothfulness, and that word is zeal. And, you know, tell us a little bit about that. How are you relating the antidote here to slothfulness? So Thomas Aquinas, he was he talked about each of the seven deadlies, and then he offered essentially the antidote to it. And so zeal, it's not my conception, it's his conception. And even in Dante Purgatory, when he meets the souls that are in slothfulness, they're forced to run because they walk too slowly here on earth. They move too slowly. But yeah, just the idea of zeal, to me, that's just the most intuitive fight to slothfulness. I think back to when I was first saved, and I think so many people can relate to this when they first come to the Lord. You just have a zeal. I mean, it's like you have found this new love and you want to serve it and you want people to know about it and you're not super lazy you know not too many people get saved and then just get on with their life you know it's quite transformative for people well especially if they are transformed you're right the zeal is there the holy spirit just takes a hold of their life but in time in time that zeal can change yeah but you're right first few couple years of a of a person's life there is that zeal so I've had to connect it to the Bible, of course. And there's two verses in particular. There's so many ways you can apply these verses. They're just the most concrete. One of them comes from Titus. And this passage has actually fascinated me. Paul says that we are waiting for our blessed hope. Uh, Christians, you know, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that passage is saying that Jesus is purifying for himself people who have zeal for good works. So ultimately, if you're growing in your walk with the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you and you are genuinely growing, you should be growing in a zeal for good works, which, you know, all the seven deadlies have their antidotes. It's just zeal is just the one that fights laziness. But to connect it to one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 28, God had just created the world and all the animals and then Adam and Eve. And then he says the famous words. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the living creatures that move on the earth. And then he says, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then he goes on. And in theology, this is what we call the cultural mandate. Theologians believe that Essentially, Adam and Eve, they were placed in a garden, but it wasn't only supposed to be a garden. They were going to till it. They were going to fill it. They were going to make a city, essentially. I mean, what does Cain do when he leaves his family? He goes and builds cities. God has put it in man to work. And part of the curse is that it's hard. You know, we're now working by the sweat of our brow. But I don't see why when we go to heaven, we don't continue in some kind of labor. It does say that we will enter into his rest. But it does seem to suggest that he's redeemed humanity for what it was once created for. And this is to do what God does, which is to create. Those verses help me just remember, like, I've been commanded to be fruitful, to multiply, to work unto the Lord. And also, 
in an, on another, like a personal level, the Holy Spirit is in me, purifying me for good works. So those verses I essentially are the ones I've meditated on. Well, know. I love the idea that you talk about zeal for the Lord and zeal for good works. I mean, there is something to be said for that, because yeah. I think, as you know, that in any congregation, for example, any church, 80% of the people do nothing yeah. and 20% yeah. do everything. Yeah. So there's a, there's a disproportional kind of part of where zeal and slothfulness play a part. So all of this being said, you have a personal testimony that all of this boiled down fits into Riley Carpenter somehow. Yeah. Tell us how. So I have been plagued by several sins in my life. I don't need to explain all of them. But I really do believe that slothfulness is one of them. I don't think I accomplish what I can in a day. And there are competing philosophies that Satan tempts us towards. Hedonism is one of them for me. I would rather sit relax, eat good food, watch movies and stuff like that. And again, I can be tempted to love those things more than is fitting for those things to be loved. It's like when I'm left to my own devices, I, I result to slothfulness. So when I was in high school, I mean, I finished, I'll be honest, with a 2.7 GPA. As I, smart I, as you are, that's I, amazing. Oh, oh yeah. I, <laughs> it wasn't that school was too difficult. I can do the work. I just didn't. And then now I'm in college and I have a wife and I am far more responsible. But that doesn't mean that old habits don't die hard. It's one of those things. I have classmates that are so on top of their homework. And it's not that I couldn't be. I just oh, this this movie sounds really fun to watch right now. Long story short, it's a constant fight in my life in particular. And I know I'm not the only one. Some people may struggle with working literally too much. You know, that's what they love is to be accomplished and successful when it's okay to rest, you know, to the Lord as it is okay to work unto the Lord. You well, know? I would have to agree with that because I'm one of those that likes to work and it's it's been my nemesis. On one side, you're so slothful that you just neglect everything. And on the other side, you're so productive that you also neglect the people that are important to yeah. you. So on both ends of the spectrum. So how do you, let's just finish up today in this yeah. conversation on how do you combat that slothfulness? Are you aware when it's happening and do you do certain things or, or how do you combat it? Yeah. So I love this question and it may, I may not give you the answer that you're expecting. So slothfulness, the medievals, the Catholic tradition has recognized it as a sin. I think we need to do that in our evangelical context. This is actually a sin. This is pulling us away from the Lord. So what do you do with sin? You confess it. You be honest and you get people to help you fight it. Just like, you know, pornography plagues in the minds of young men and they need somebody to be accountable with them. I think we could have people be accountable with us, whether we are doing our God-given duties. You know, if we're paying attention, if, if we're neglecting those things for the sake of rest or for the sake of just being lazy, you know, it takes help and it takes somebody coming alongside of you and walking with you, praying with you, and ultimately just holding you accountable. So I think we need to treat it like a sin. We need to treat all the seven deadlies as sin. You know, most people will confess they have pride. Not many people will confess that they have slothfulness. Like they, they don't treat it like it's a sin, like pride. 
And even an interesting one, if we ever get to talk again, envy. I can't think of a time I've heard somebody confess that they've been envious towards someone. It's all sin, you know, and the medievals knew it. So we need to recover that. Well, Riley, this has been very interesting. It's a little different from a lot of the contemporary themes I've been covering, but I love the idea of slothfulness, and you've done a a marvelous job sort of unpacking it historically and how it fits into our contemporary lives, as well as some of the ways that your own personal life has dealt with slothfulness. Mm -hmm. And you've given me a great deal of hope that you're the future of tomorrow's Christian leaders because you're thinking along the lines that would help a congregation understand some things that they probably wouldn't otherwise think about. So thanks for the conversation. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. <laughs>